this is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarterbin. In every episode of this podcast, I'll summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select sort of at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 76th episode of The Quarterbin, we're looking at Ms. Tree Special number 9 from DC Comics, cover dated Fall 1992. And by we, I mean myself and a first-time guest, a man whose blog and podcast I've become acquainted with only recently. And somewhere along the line, I learned that he was a fan of Ms. Tree. And so, here we are. Welcome to the show from the blog and podcast, I'm the Gun, and the teeny tiny state of Rhode Island, Mark Sweeney. Professor, thank you. Thank you. I'm so uh, deciduously excited to be here. <laughs> Glad to have you on the show. Sorry. Uh, Going to get that out of my system right now. <laughs> Glad to have you on the show. Now, from what I know of you... Yes. From your blog and podcast, you have, shall we say, an eclectic taste in comics. Ah. So were these varied tastes something that's sort of always been a part of your comic book reading history? Get on the couch and share your <laughs> comic book history, young man. I would say so. I mean, don't we all have uh, yeah. varied tastes? I think, you know, these blogs and podcasts that we have are kind of testimonials to our taste. But I guess when I started I'm the Gun, it was really a dare, <laughs> a personal dare to myself. <laughs> could I, could someone do a Balloon Buster vlog? <laughs> and uh, so I decided to look up on Blogger if the name I'mTheGun.blogspot.com was available. And I said if it was, then I was going to do it. Here I am. <laughs> And that, and that, that is a balloon buster reference. That is. So, in the history of comics, going way back, there are phrases, utterances, uh, made by characters that have, I'd say, transcended the medium, like up, up and away, Shazam, Avengers Assemble. Uh, I'm the gun is not one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm the Gun was a uh, sort of a mantra that uh, the Balloon Buster, the World War One fighter ace, the American fighter ace, Steve Savage used. It was taught to him by his pappy um, as a way to sort of uh, focus himself when he found himself in a in a tight spot. So kind of like uh, be the ball, be the ball. He was the gun. By saying I'm the Gun, he got through some uh, some pretty rough stuff. Killed a lot of Germans that way. <laughs> and I just thought it was such a weird, a weird phrase um, that if I started a Balloon Buster blog, that that, that had to be the title. Um, now, he only made like 15, 16 appearances. So I knew that uh, the Steve Savage portion of the blog had a short shelf life. <laughs> um, so I just had to, I wanted to come up with a, a new face. Um, and that's when I kind of landed on Shanna the She-Devil and uh, decided to sort of switch formats and challenge myself again uh, by turning I'm the Gun into a podcast with a couple of different little branches. 
uh, one being Shanna Showcase, and uh, another I'm I'm a huge going way back a huge Legion of Superheroes fan, and uh, I wanted to talk about the Legion of Superheroes, the version of the team that nobody else talks about, the one that came out of Zero Hour. Things you'll find on Omnigon, and, and in between those things, I've sort of uh, scattered a few various other topics, as you have seen. Um, but I guess to sort of summarize, you'll find things covered here that are not the subject of any blockbuster movies <laughs> or CW TV shows, uh, either now or ever. <laughs> Forever and ever, amen. Forever and ever. So when that balloon buster movie comes out, I will be hanging it up. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so how about this character, Ms. Michael Tree? When did you discover either this, the DC series, or, or the character in general? I am 99% sure that the first time I ever laid eyes on the character was probably in, in, that, in the house ad, the DC house ad, right. advertising the uh, quarterly. The character just had a cool look, which kind of, that kind of goes back to uh, how I got into the Balloon Buster. Uh, seeing him in that one or two panels in Crisis and Infinite Earths, that he, uh, you know, this, this pilot that had a cowboy hat... Um, so the looks of these characters are sort of and your your first thought was this guy needs a blog (laughs) at nine years old i was like yes (laughs) this guy needs a blog but when you're nine when you're whatever 12 whenever i saw this uh, house ad for history i mean that's you know the looks of these characters are what spark your imagination when you're that age and i think the credits i knew the i knew max collins and terry Beatty. those were the wild dog guys (laughs) oh there you go and uh, all, another character with a gray look, huh? But I didn't. I never picked up any of these mystery issues. I just probably couldn't afford them, didn't see them. I don't think these print runs were very big. Um, but the more reading I had done, uh, I realized that she was you know, sort of a long-standing character. But she was. She lived in the independent world, independent comics, and uh, at that point of my life, that was just a, a no-no. <laughs> and those can be kind of hit and miss trying to find also. Yes, oh, definitely. Again, definitely. You talk about small print runs. That's <laughs> you're tiny. Depending on finding them at your local oh, yes. drugstore, even or even comic store, mm. that may struggle month to month. I have since put together a pretty, I think, a complete mystery collection, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't easy. And yeah, it was it came down to you know these single issues that just right. aren't anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've just found it recently. Uh-huh. Probably the last six months or nine months, and at this point, I've read just just out of this title. Yeah, uh, it, it ran ten issues: uh, yeah. one, two, five, and eight, and then and then also nine and ten. Mm. And and I have read the mystery novel that Max Allen up. Collins wrote. I found mm-hmm. it a couple of months ago somewhere. Yeah, I think I think at at the library. Just, I picked uh, up a copy on uh, on eBay recently with steel. That was a steal. It was like four bucks shipped. And it wasn't bad. I haven't I haven't read it so Not yeah at all. It's sort of uh, almost an alternate universe take uh-huh. on the origin, you know, enough similarities but but some some surprises and some differences as well. Updated from the early yeah. maybe to the alts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now in in general are you a fan of mysteries or you know private investigator stories in general, comics or or novels or TV? Not in general, which uh, surprised me how much I've enjoyed these issues. Uh, it was basically it was my um, it was the creative team I think that really drew me right. into right. this series, and once I was in, then I was there to stay. Right. Uh, for the most part, 
very enjoyable stories, very well crafted. I think Max Collins, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a expert mystery writer. Right. For for me, everything goes back to Sherlock Holmes. Mm. And then growing up, Rockford Files or Columbo or Spencer for Hire, ah. all of those big on, big on TV, and then also read. I think I've read all the Spencer novels okay. as well, some Agatha Christie, Sue Grafton. So my yeah. mom was a huge mystery reader. So some of that uh, certainly wore off on me well, as well. So this hit uh, for me. This hit that itch, and yeah. certainly again, you know, Max Allen Collins. You know, I knew him as sort of a hard-boiled type yes. of writer. So it yes. really. And this is going to work backwards, I think, with me, where I reading the letters columns, where you know you see what a huge Mickey Spillane fan, uh, right, right, Collins was, and Dragnet. Um, you know, these are the things I want to kind of check out coming out of Mystery. Right. Now, I read my first Nancy Drew book <laughs> <laughs> because of a little reference in a in a Mystery comic. That's funny. Yeah. Now, this is a very important question for this show. Do you have any idea where you would have acquired your copy and how much you would have paid for it? I bought my copy of uh, number nine in a lot where I bought the, the entire quarterly special special set. And I paid between one and two dollars per issue for it. <laughs> well, look, I'm a, a fortune. I'm a finance guy. I'm a business guy. What I'm going to let you do. I'm going to let you allocate the whole cost to the other nine issues ah. and say you got this one for free. Okay? I like it. That way I don't have to end the Skype call right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like that plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a break here, play a promo, and when we come back, it's Ms. Tree Special number nine. Thirty years ago, I walked into a comic store, and I picked up G.I. Joe and the Transformers number one. A month later, I came back. They say every journey has a first step. Every story has a beginning. This is mine. I may have begun my comics collecting career in earnest in 1990, but from the fall of 1986 until the fall of 1987, I was a regular at my LCS. So in honor of 30 years of collecting comics, I'll be recapping and reviewing all of them on the days they originally came out. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Origin Story, a podcast miniseries starting this September at popcultureaffidavit.com and twotruefreaks.com.
generation Star Wars is speaking up and sharing its story. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm David Michelini. I'm Tom Panneries. I'm Steve Glosson. I'm Matt Hunsworth. I'm Scott Gardner. I'm Ryan Shaw. I'm Paul Herman. I'm Jimmy Mack. I'm Ryder Waldron. I'm Justin Bulger. I'm Joseph Tavano. I'm John Jackson Miller. I'm Concetta Parker. I'm Steve Sansweet. And this. And this. And this. Is my Star Wars story. Is my Star Wars story. 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 My Star Wars story monthly at mystarwarsstory.com and available in the iTunes Store. And we're back. Now, before we talk about the specific issue, I want to run sort of the basic premise of the story of the character. So, in brief, her cop father wanted a son. So just went ahead and named his daughter Michael. <laughs> she hates being called Michelle, by the way. She joins some other cops, including Michael Tree and his new PI agency. They marry, and he is murdered on their honeymoon. She takes over the husband's agency, and in investigating his murder, discovers links to the Muerta organized crime family. And by the way, that is a great pitch. Isn't that, Mark? I mean, that is just, it's such a great idea. I think it's pretty perfect. And I've you know, I've read it's been optioned for TV and movies more than once. Yes. I can't, I, I can't figure out why it's never been made. Me either. Me either. <laughs> I think in, these, in the letters columns around this time, they were talking constantly about right. uh, the TV option. And it was at this stage and at this stage and then... <laughs> the next stage. The Netflix original series. Uh, Bam. I mean, that, as they Perfect. say, it, it writes itself. Yes. It has the subplots built right into it. it oh. I know. Perfect. Perfect fit for <laughs> online uh, content. Exactly. So, Ms. Tree Special. Now, this used to be called Ms. Tree Quarterly, up through one through eight. It's the same title, <laughs> Ms. Tree Special number nine, at a cover price of $3.95. Wow. I acquired this bad boy at a 93% discount. Bam! (laughs) And spoilers, it's pretty good. Anyway, (laughs) the cover by Randy DeBurke shows our heroine holding a baby in a blanket. Gun drawn, of course. Mm -hmm. She's running towards us, and in the background, in sort of a stylized manner, are some eerie, creepy, crawly bad guys. That's the exact word I was going to use, stylized. I, I know Randy DeBurke's work. Um, I acknowledge it. <laughs> I don't know if I'm... <laughs> I, I I know that it exists. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good fit for this comic. I mean, it's uh, it really... I think it has sort of a bad relationship with the interior art. Yes, that's true. I just think in general... I mean, this book takes place in, quote-unquote, the real world. Yes, you know, it, it avoids the nightmarish or the the scary or the eerie. Yeah. So it this does stand out as being much more theatrical yes. than the interior art or than even some of the covers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that's probably the most fantastic the covers uh, of this run. I would say the angles, the way her hair is just sort of otherworldly, floating. Uh, and these sort of demonic gangstery sorts of things in the background right i mean yeah. holding the gun works 
holding baby in one hand, gun in the other. That Ooh, that sums up that sums up the 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 issue pretty well, actually. Exactly. <laughs> but the rest of it. <laughs> one thing I was really hankering for in this whole series was a, a Terry Beatty cover. Mm, sure. Um, but that that didn't happen. He was busy <laughs> enough doing fifty-two pages of, <laughs> of <laughs> interior art, I guess. Uh, the story is one mean mother. Actually, it's 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 mother. Mother. And was written by Max Allen Collins, the creator of the character. Art in the story, as we said, was done by Terry Beatty and Gary Cato. And we start with Ms. Michael Tree happy. <laughs> <laughs> that was unexpected. Well, the entire first page is a little unexpected. Have you seen? Yes. Have you seen a page like that in any DC comic? No. Ever. Nursing her newborn baby girl, Melody. Her sister Angie is coming over to babysit. It's a deal that she's made with Michael, babysitting in exchange for college tuition. Mm-hmm. And she promises she won't let her sister down. The ladies talk about security, the fact that there are guns all over the house, and that Angie can handle a piece. I'm a cop's kid. This little introduction mark, this nice, pleasant domestic scene. <laughs> all is good, all is happy. And Ms. then the guns. Ms. Tr- well, and the guns. So <laughs> Ms. Tree about as feminine as she gets. Yep. Right? So, uh, other than being suspicious because they're too happy, mm-hmm. what was your reaction? And the surprise of the very first splash page. <laughs> Well, it's very unusual to see Mystery in this sort of situation of uh, domestic bliss. Uh, the baby was sort of a new revelation for her, mm-hmm. and uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised to see her settling into the role of, of mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she's had a sort of strained relationship, I guess, with her stepson, who we do meet. Right. Also uh, named uh, Michael. Also named. <laughs> One of the three Michael trees. Um. So it was nice. It was nice to see uh, to see her re- reaction to her sister, who they've had a strained relationship as well. Mm-hmm. And I sort of I like the coloring, how they're, the the women are dressed in these sort of nice warm colors. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of enhances the happiness that right. uh, we know will last through the the whole issue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the sisters look different but similar. Mm-hmm. And I think that's some of Terry Beatty's better stuff. I mean, that is sort of a, that's a tough detail to get. Definitely. To, to, to draw a family resemblance without drawing twins. Yes, no, yes, kudos. Miss Tree's uh, hairstyle sort of iconic. Right. Um, so that will set her apart in any panel she appears in. But uh, she looks like her sister. Angie looks like exactly like her sister. Mm-hmm. And should we skip over the awkward flirting? Between the stepson and the step aunt, just let's just acknowledged it. Let let let's just move on. Let's just move on. So at this point, Ms. Tree arrives at the office for the first time in months. She's been on maternity leave. In her absence, business has been quiet but profitable. She reminds her two partners that she is back and that she is in charge. She flashes back to the manipulation that her baby daddy, Billy Powers, pulled on her before being killed. Her baby granddaddy, William Powers Sr., offered to bring her and Melody into the firm and and, and into the Powers family fold, but she refused. 
At the end of her first half day at the office, she drives home to find her sister shot and her baby missing. And the message on her answering machine tells her that for 20000 bucks, she can have her daughter back. So as the kids say, Mark, this is where it gets real. For real. Or if you've ever read a hard-boiled detective story ever, <laughs> this is how things went as you would have expected them. <laughs> it's called Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> or Friday. <laughs> as we said, I, did, I didn't say this in the synopsis, but sort of hinted at it. The killers do shoot Angie thinking that they had killed Michael. Those killers, especially the, the, the guy, he's right out of central casting, huh? <laughs> not not all that bright. <laughs> Shades in the house, handlebar mustache. <laughs> but again, on the way home from work, she's smiling, mystery is, and again, I don't remember a smile from any of the prior issues that I've read. <laughs> this so, is a different mystery. Yep, but not for long. In the uh, flashback sequences, I like how they use this sort of um, duotone coloring. Mm, right. Uh, that actually harkens back to her solo series, the independent series, where that's how okay. the entire issues were colored. Uh, she started off in full color, then moved to this sort of duotone where they would use blue, black, and white, or red, black, and white, mm-hmm. or brown, black, and white. Okay. I like seeing that in the flashbacks. Interesting. I didn't realize that that design choice was a throwback, but it certainly is distinct, mm. and it's a, it's a different way of doing a flashback. Mm. That's for sure. Interesting. And I, you know, we we get her business toughness, her business yeah. acumen. I, I like that. And then her partners have uh, have sort of made the firm a success, or at least maintained right. its success. And I I don't know how strongly this was. A plot point again. I've only read you know, a half dozen of these of these quarterly issues, um, but in the novel, they make a big deal of the fact that you know they were four way partners in the firm, ah. and as soon as the husband died, she became a fifty percent owner okay. of the business. You know, she inherited his fifty percent. Uh-huh. So even though to some extent they're three partners, right? She is really the the chief partner. She's the yes. She's the head partner if she wants to. <laughs> first, put her, if she wants to put her foot down. The first among equals. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now she calls in the police for the shooting, but evades questions about Melody. Alone, she breaks down and considers giving Melody up should she get her back. She pulls herself together, assembles her team. They question the small amount of the ransom. Because Ms. Tree is well known as a, in, in essence, a celebrity a private investigator and, and is, is known for the wealth that she has. Quickly conclude that this is probably a trap. She gets a call with the information for the trade. A foghorn is heard in the distance on the call. She goes to the location and is promptly shot right in her bulletproof vest. In the hail of bullets that follow... The two foreign bad guys are both killed. Melody is nowhere to be found, though they do discover a hotel room key. Miss Tree instructs her men to contact Don Doni Muerta of the local crime family. She figures he can probably identify the shooters. Or 
he may just bring in another team to finish the job if, in <laughs> fact, he was behind it, which is a point that's raised. <laughs> so here we get the first big action sequence, the first big uh, first big shootout. That's a great shoot-em-up. <laughs> yeah. A really nice scene. Well, well choreographed, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, you, you get a little different take on the coloring. You know, we talked about how bright and happy those first dozen pages were the 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 domestic scene and here we're getting well you know it it helps that it's at night and in a dimly lit warehouse but you get a lot of yellows and purples and you know dark the dark colors are really very muted. yeah very very muted very well presented i think Mm. in that call um when she's getting the ransom call I thought it was really funny how quickly that kidnapper, sort of K, lost his cool. Right. When he said, uh, the, you know, her, her sister, he didn't mean to shoot the sister. It just happened, and it's uh, for putting on such a tough guy act, uh, for him to lose his cool like that uh, is, is pretty telling. Mm-hmm. And you know, we see them doing some detective-ish deductions as well. And that's always – it's not just an action book. It's a detective book. Definitely. It's a, so you it's, need to see some – you need to see some clues and some deduction and logically moving from one step to another. It's a true mystery, well-constructed mystery. And certainly, you know, Max Allen Collins knows how to do that. He knows his way around, yeah. <laughs> no, knows how to tell that, that type of story. So we get the young Don, Donnie. He shows up, and he does not know either killer. But he does tell her that if she needs soldiers to give him a call, they discover that the killers were Belgian and connect them to a corporate lawyer named Simons, who is in turn connected to the Powers family. This is the baby daddy family of Ms. Tree. She tracks down Simons, and he confesses that this was the grandpa's idea as a way to adopt the child. Ms. Tree pushes the lawyer off the roof of the building <laughs> onto a fire escape. They consider going straight to old, to old man powers, but they're afraid if they pushed him too hard that he'd die of a heart attack. But that foghorn was a good clue, and they locate the boat where Melody is being held. Ms. Tree shoots the man, the one who shot her sister. The woman immediately turns the baby over to Ms. Tree. She tells the woman to tell Powers what happened on the boat, and she calls up Don Don Muerta. You said you'd help. I have a bit of a mess that needs cleaning up. (laughs) Now, there is a denouement that follows, but this is the end of the action part of the story, and she has her baby back. Now, Mark, let me ask you this. Yes. Do you think she knew that there was a fire escape. Because <laughs> me, I'm only about 70% sure. I will raise you about 5%. <laughs> I mean, she that, says she knew. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> but she is mystery. Now, you've read a few more of these stories than, than I can. The relationship between her... And the organized crime family. Yes. The Muertas. I've read enough to have a feel for it, but can you do a brief explanation? 
of, um, of what that relationship is or, or how they're connected? The Muerta family were her very earliest adversaries, and they dogged her throughout pretty much her entire original run. Dominic Muerta was the boss of the family when uh, Miss Tree came on the scene, uh, but after him, his daughter took over and had an antagonistic relationship with Miss Tree as well. Um, <laughs> she ended up being no longer with the firm, and uh, this new Don Donnie is sort of the mob boss of the late 80s, the yuppie mob boss, and uh, he wants to sort of legitimize the right. company and the business. Coincidentally, a niece of the family has had a relationship with Michael Tree Jr., right. his tree's stepson. And so at least Don Donnie sees this as a sort of solidifying of the relationship. It does come in handy. Yes. <laughs> for, for her to have him on his on her side. Definitely. Because yeah, because I got I like I said, I by the time issue one of the quarterly series came around, that involved uh, Dominique. Dominique, uh, yes. Uh, the daughter, maybe the first two issues do. Mm-hmm. But they hinted at and certainly, you know, flashbacked to this greater backstory. Yes, it took up um, a that lot. you talked about that that's Interesting that they were really adversary number one. And uh, Don Donnie, he looks like a total slime ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he does have, it's, uh, he's shown a certain amount of honor. And uh, as a reader, I'd sort of tend to believe his um, when he says that he will take care of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that you've got, on one hand, the muertas, and on the other hand, this you know rich business the grandfather right you know, this rich family business <laughs> who that that the powell family was modeled after the uh the trumps <laughs> interesting yes. that's that's funny the baby daddy was right. sort of the analog for donald trump <laughs> interesting <laughs> in, now, these day, in this day and age <laughs> that is that one interesting thing about that just in the way that i read these books because I read number five, mm-hmm. and I did not have six or seven. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to eight, these took place somewhat in real time. It was a quarterly book. Mm-hmm. So nine months had passed. <laughs> so at the end of issue five, there's nothing going on. Right. By the time I pick up issue eight, she's about eight and, eight and three quarters months pregnant. <laughs> that is a great issue, by the way. Yes. The, the hard-boiled pregnant pi just not something you see that often no but it's like picking up issue eight my first thought is how did this happen and my second thought is okay well technically i know how this happened <laughs> you but... may have an idea how that happens yeah. <laughs> sort of an iconic image though the the, oh, the, the, the cover of eight like, yeah mm-hmm. so in in the aftermath michael visits her sister in the hospital and the sister does call her Michelle at this point, which is the way to dig at your sibling <laughs> at, in a way that only siblings can. Uh, Angie's well enough to sit up and hold the baby for a bit, but it won't be for long because Michael's going to give her up, find a normal family for the baby. She'll never know the violent, crazy woman who was her mother. Angie tells her that, that look, this wasn't her fault. It was the crazy grandfather of hers. 
So Michael visits the crazy grandfather. She lets him have it. She was going to give the baby up because of him. You foul, pathetic excuse for a human being. But now she's keeping Melody and promises the old man that he will never see her. In his shock and dismay, old Mr. Power's heart starts to act up a little bit. The medicine! It's on the table, quick, my medicine! Give me my medicine! And she crosses her arms and walks out of the room. I am. Oh, cold! (laughs) Cold! (laughs) Wow! Such a great stinger there. Yes. That sort of sharp sense of humor that uh, Max you, Collins gives to Ms. Tree. You right are there. getting your medicine right now, buddy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> she suddenly wasn't so concerned about his uh, heart condition. Yeah. And she had the baby back. <laughs> <laughs> now, in issue eight, there was sort of a pro-choice, pro-life discussion where she explains why she kept the child. So I, I didn't see her giving it up. You know, that that rash decision, I think after sort of, yeah, I, I didn't necessarily buy that. So that turn and then the turn back was was a bit quick for me, mm-hmm. but it certainly worked and it gave us this great ending scene. Oh yes, that's <laughs> for sure. So I agree, I agree with you there. But but after the events of the issue, I guess it certainly, I guess it wasn't out of the question right. because. Again, the imagery that the cover of issue eight is a, I don't know, she looks maybe 11 months pregnant, <laughs> you know, <laughs> firing, least. firing two guns. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the cover of this one, you know, we said she's holding the baby, you know, running away from from danger, gun drawn. So certainly Melody is destined to have an interesting life. Mm. That's putting it a way. <laughs> so, I mean, so I, I guess, I mean, to some extent that, you know, at least temporary change of mind, eh, not out of the question. No. Not out of the question. So uh, your thoughts on the ending or overall your thoughts on the on the whole issue? My one overarching thought on this issue, I think, is if you, if someone came to you and said, I want a mystery adventure from the DC years, you could hand them this issue, and it would perfectly encapsulate, I think, what she's about at this point in her career. And I love these, the nice thing about the quarterlies and the specials is these were somewhere in the 52 to 60 page Yes, at this point, yeah. Almost all of that story. So a lot of room to breathe, a lot of room to get the beginning, the middle, the end, you know, the the classic complete story. Right. Yeah, at this point, I think it was a year, an annual frequency, um, and they had dropped a backup feature that was in the earlier quarterlies. Right. Giving it even a little bit more room. Right. A couple of those early quarterlies had text, at, at least... I think number one did had a text, yes. had a text story. The first, yeah, that, the first few did. Mm-hmm, that was illustrated. Yes, and I, I just conceptually like the illustrated sort of illustrated story or illustrated novel. You know, so that sort of that that in between the comic and the prose story. That first issue had a uh, Batman. Oh, it was great. 
that's a way to sell your first issue. Yep. And, <laughs> and, and for myth, it may have been written by Denny O'Neill. It was drawn by Mike Grell. That's yeah. a winner for me. That's a, <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a dream team. Yeah. It's like then, almost, almost no matter what happened in the first 48 pages of that issue, the last eight pages were definitely worth it. Yes. Oh, yeah. So that was definitely worth uh, me taking a flyer on for sure. The next couple had uh, the character The Butcher. That's right, right. Um, I haven't read those yet. <laughs> They're interesting. I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have no experience with that character apart from his loose leaf who's who page. <laughs> Uh, and one of the later ones is the King Faraday right. story uh, drawn by Carmen Infantino. That was a late gem. Issue 9 and issue 10, this is this is the end of mystery. It's a shame. It's a real shame. Um, it's hard to believe that so much time has passed and nothing has been done with this character. I mean, apart it's... from the, you know, the, the prose novel. Yep. I wonder if there's some legal logistics in terms of the rights or something because if this were totally max allen collins or collins and Beatty, yep i would think they would have kickstarted something they would have you know tried something independent image yeah you know a self-pub now it's true i mean the, the number of publishers that mystery has had in her history right <laughs> what's one or two more yeah but I, I do wonder if there's some weird rights thing or maybe when dc bought it it could be. It could you know, be that that Warner's has a piece of the action or something. I don't know. I'm just yeah. curious. I wouldn't, and I, I, I would not want to think that uh, Max Collins and Terry Beatty had were, were done with the character. Um, right. I mean, certainly like if that's you a deep mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if 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 you read the letters pages, as you said, which is by the way pretty entertaining. Yes. These letters pages. Um, but they would talk about some of the irons they had in the fire in terms of, of TV or potential movie this or that for for mystery, and that's it's true. And all they, of that seems to have gone nowhere. They they did talk about um, the editor Mike Gold was leaving DC at the time, and I don't know if that uh, had anything to do with it. And also the mature readers line at this point, 1992. I don't, what else was mature readers at that time? This was sort of pre-Vertigo. This will be the pre-Vertigo book, so. Yeah. And I don't remember if, while Vertigo was running, whether DC was publishing other mature readers' comics. Mm, right. Yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, this this sort of fit in that in-between space. Mm-hmm. We'll have to tweet Max Allen Collins. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, uh, I mean, we end here with The Verdict on mystery special number nine i i think based on our conversation i know how you're going to go with this but mark was this worth a quarter it was a steal <laughs> 56 pa- first off 56 <laughs> pages of slightly below average comic for a quarter is worth but 56 pages of excellent action-packed pulp style adventure that that this issue gave us Definitely a quarter bin steal. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Mark, before we let you go, tell us again where we can find you online for your blogging and podcasting purposes. Those episodes can be found at imthegun.blogspot.com, also on iTunes, and 
since we're at it, I will just push my other little side project that uh, I had going for a little while there, Comics Couplets, on Instagram. I think that's the best way to see those. Those were short Twitter-friendly poems um, based on comics characters that I would couple with an image. And uh, check those out at Instagram.com slash Comics Couplets. Highly recommended. Comics yes. Couplets is also available on Twitter. Yes. Well, that wraps up my coverage of Ms. Tree Special Number 9, bringing Episode 76 of the Quarterbin Podcast to a close. In Episode 77, we'll stay in this general area with a book that I hyped once before that we were scheduled to cover earlier, but hey, things happen, okay? So, assuming things work out this time, it'll be Freaks Number 2. From the Ultraverse line of Malibu Comics, cover dated August 1993. But, as we may have hinted before, Mark and I are not done covering Ms. Tree. No, no, no. listen to an upcoming episode of I'm the Gun, where we will cover the next, and as we said, sadly, last issue of this title, Ms. Tree Special Number 10. Boo-hoo. I know. <laughs> Again, thanks for joining me, Mark. Professor, thanks for having me on. Look forward, to, look forward to talking to you again about Ms. Michael Tree. All right, me too. If you have any questions or comments about this issue, the episode, or the podcast, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Professor! Professor.